like to start with a question for you this morning. Are there any list makers out there? Anyone setting next to a diehard list maker out there? We love lists, don't we? Because they help us to feel like we're in control. We make lists and then we are so excited when we get to scratch that last thing off of our to-do list or when, listen, Christmas is coming, when we get to check that last name off of our shopping list. We use lists to help manage our time and to help us to know when something has been finished, when it's complete. We've been in Galatians 5 for the last month, and here Paul gives us a list of what he calls the fruit of the Spirit. And I wish that this list that Paul gives us was the kind of list I could just run through and finish and be done with it. Love, sure, I've loved someone today, so check. Joy, peace, patience, the list goes on. But this list, it's not a to-do list, is it? Paul's list, they're meant to bring us this comprehensive picture of something that's really important. And in this case, Paul's telling us that this fruit, it's the mark of Christian character. When we're led by the Holy Spirit, there are visible results. The way that I live and the way that I behave it should look different. But this is not an exhaustive list. For example, we don't find honesty anywhere on this list, do we? But that doesn't mean that as Christ followers, we get to lie or we get to cheat. The fruit that we're gonna be in today is kindness. So I wanna ask you another question as we get going. Do you do you know anyone that doesn't want to be treated with kindness? I don't think I've ever met anyone that did not desire for me to be kind to them, but what I have met a lot of are people who are skeptical of kindness. But it's easy to be skeptical of kindness, right? Because it's become so rare in our culture that sometimes we're shocked when we come across it. And as I was thinking about why that is, I think it's because we live in a culture of reciprocity, a culture that says you give to get and you get what you give. Our world, it often equates kindness to passivity, fakeness, manipulation, something that we activate or put on when we want something. Our world says that if you don't look out for number one, no one will. But the kindness that Paul's talking about, well, it's not the kind of kindness that you can put on like an accessory, like your nicest watch or your favorite jacket to make you look polished and complete. Paul tells us it's a fruit, right? That grows from the inside out. And over time, it becomes mature and pleasing to God and his people. Paul's talking about transformation, right? And it's not the type of transformation that can happen apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. We can't be kind like this on our own. So I have another question for you this morning. Do you remember the last time that someone was kind to you? 
Now, maybe you know right off the top of your head, or maybe you're going through your encounters with people from the last several days or weeks or months. It can be hard to spot genuine kindness, but the kindness that Paul's talking about, it stands out. And I think people, they just know when they meet it. In Greek, this word is krestates, and it describes most often the character and the actions of God. It's translated as kindness, benevolence, moral goodness. Think of it as the disposition of a person more than any particular action. It's the spirit in which something is done. Kindness is a supernaturally generous orientation of our hearts toward other people, even when they don't deserve it or even when they don't love us in return. It's a generosity of spirit. Kindness is showing someone the benefit of the doubt when they probably don't deserve it. Kindness is being generous with all of your resources, your time, your money, your gifts, your stuff. Kindness takes someone at their word and it's delighted when something good happens for someone else, even if we wish it happened to us. It's a spirit of generosity in all things. God himself is kind in this way, isn't he? He has no hidden motives. God isn't stingy. Love is at the center of all that God is and all that God does. God's kindness, it flows out of his goodness. He is generous in all things. But my favorite definition of kindness comes from a pastor. His name is Andy Stanley. And he says that kindness is loaning someone your strength instead of reminding them of their weakness. I love that definition because that's what God has done for us, right? There's not one person who is not weak in their own flesh. 2 Corinthians 12 tells us that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. But if we're honest this morning, loaning our strength to someone instead of reminding them of their weakness, it doesn't come naturally to us. So I don't think it's by chance that Paul lists love first when he's giving us a list of the fruit of the Spirit. Dallas Willard, he defines love as willing the good of another. Love is the starting point of the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Think of it like this. If, if love is the root, kindness is the flower. 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love, and that even as humanity grew increasingly selfish and unkind, God in his kindness to his creation has never stopped loving and giving and providing. Our story, the story of humans, it went sideways, three chapters into the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve, they doubted God's goodness, but God, his kindness is unwavering. The heart of God is oriented toward his people. And it's generous and it's merciful, even when we aren't turned toward him 
and even when we don't deserve it, and even when we don't love him back. Because God is kind. Listen, if anyone had the right to be unkind to us, it would be God, because he has seen our whole story beginning to end, and he has been on the receiving end of our doubt and a little bit of our meanness and our stubborn hearts. And we've loved ourselves and we've loved our stuff more than we've loved him. God has seen all of our weakness and yet he lent us his strength. Since the beginning, God has shown kindness to his creation. In the garden, God showed kindness to Adam and Eve when their weakness cost them everything. God's kindness, it made Abraham the father of many nations and it strengthened Moses as he led the Israelites out of captivity. And it continued to provide for them even though they grumbled and they complained. And God, he didn't leave us lost and broken. Well, the strength of God, he stepped down from heaven and he became one of us. And he made this planet his home and he lived with us. God took the punishment of sin, death on a cross, and he defeated death so that we could not only receive pardon of our sin, but have abundant and eternal life. And God, he still provides for us today, even though we, we grumble and we complain. The God that I sit with, he is not a God who reminds me of my weakness. He is a God who reminds me over and over again of how much he loves me. And through that love, he gives his strength to me daily. Friends, this, this is the God that our world needs to know. A kind God with a heart for his people. Now, I'm not suggesting that we offer the world a hallmark version of God. What I'm simply saying is that the world is harsh and God is kind. And I will reflect something to the people I encounter. So why would I not want it to be the heart of a kind and loving father? Because when I can grasp even a fraction of how rich in love and mercy God is, well, it should make me want to carry that love and that kindness into the world. God sent his son, Jesus, to be a living and breathing example of who he is. How do I know that God is kind? I look at Jesus because Jesus modeled kindness. God the son, he came down to live among us because love, it comes close. God sent Jesus to show us that kindness is how love behaves. Jesus is how love behaves. Do you remember learning to drive? So I went to a rural school because I grew up out in the country and I took driver's ed at this small country school during the summer and we studied the book and we drove around on those backcountry roads, learning to do all the things that you needed to do. But my first drive without my instructor, well, it was to drive my family to town that evening to have dinner. 
And y'all, it was so bad. Like I knew the, I knew the driving rules and I'd passed my test, but I had never driven in all of that traffic with so many lanes and so many rude people. I second guessed everything that I knew and it was a bad experience for everyone involved. And so as we were going home from dinner that night, my dad, he offered to switch spots with me and he invited me to sit with him and to watch as he navigated everything that I knew I didn't understand how to do. Now, had I ridden in the car with my parents for 16 years and watched them drive? Of course I had, but I'd been a passive participant. I had not been a front seat active learner. Jesus, he came and he said, watch me, and I'll take away the guesswork, and I'll show you how to live the life that God the Father intends for you to live. But we fall into patterns of passive participation, don't we? Thinking that we know how to follow Jesus because we've heard it so many times, but we're invited to be front seat active learners, apprentices to the master. If you're unsure of whether or not God loves you, look at Jesus. If you're unsure of whether or not you're living a spirit-led life, look at Jesus. The gospels are packed with stories of God the Son showing unexpected and undeserved kindness to his people, to people who didn't love him or believe him, to people who didn't accept him, to people who doubted him, to people who were broken and thrown away and written off. If we look at the ministry of Jesus, the heart of God, it comes so clearly into focus. Jesus could have come to this planet and he could have done everything that needed to be done all on his own, but he chose to live with the people. Jesus met the immediate needs of people. He fed the hungry and he healed the sick. He revealed himself to people who were outcast and unlikely and he hung out with those who had been thrown away. And even as he hung on the cross, he asked God the Father to forgive those who were responsible for his crucifixion. One of my favorite stories of the kindness of Jesus is found in Luke chapter seven, and that's where we're gonna be for the next several minutes today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there to follow along. We're gonna be starting in Luke seven, verse 36. It'll also be on the screen. This text is a little bit long, so hang with me because it's important that we read it in its entirety. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. 
A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, a first read of this story might make us wonder, what in the world? How does this even happen? Today, we would know if someone were in our house as we were about to sit down at the dinner table, wouldn't we? But we know there were no deadbolts or ring doorbells in Jesus's day. And the most probable scenario is that even in the home of the wealthiest of Pharisees, the table would have been in an outdoor courtyard. And it would have been common for uninvited guests to wander into the courtyard and to stand around as the dinner guests were sharing a meal. It was almost a form of entertainment. And the Pharisees, they seemed okay with it because, well, it gave them a chance to teach and maybe even to show off a little. But this woman, well, the first thing that Luke tells us about her is that she's a sinner. And so before we are told anything else about her, she's defined by what she's done wrong. She is an uninvited, unnamed woman, but she is not a nobody. Her presence, it seems to be noticed fairly quickly because as this story unfolds, we can see that Simon and his dinner guests, they recognize her. And we're not told who she is. No one gives us her backstory, but a lot of commentaries believe that she was actually a prostitute. So it must have taken so much courage for her to enter that courtyard on that day. The scorn and the judgment that she would face from the Pharisees and those dinner guests, costly. It was bold. But she was willing to do anything to express her love to Jesus. So she entered in and she bowed low, taking the position of a servant behind him at his feet. Now Jesus, he would have been reclining, as was the custom at the dinner table, leaning to the left, probably propped up on his left arm, with his head toward the table and his body stretched away. She probably actually intended to anoint the head of Jesus because that was the custom but the closest she could get was his feet. So worship at his feet, she did. She couldn't kiss his cheek as Simon could, so she kissed his feet. And scripture tells us she became emotional. The Greek word translated for weeping here is not a soft and quiet cry. It's more of a sobbing. Can you imagine 
the awkward silence as people watched and they waited to see what would happen next. Scripture tells us how Simon saw her, right? He saw her as unworthy. He saw her choices. He saw her actions. He saw her reputation. Simon saw her as less than. I can picture Simon. Can you picture him with me? Standing there, arms crossed, shaking his head, rolling his eyes, maybe deep sighing, disgusted by her behavior and by Jesus's tolerance of it. Because Pharisees, well, Pharisees, they did not hang out with sinners. They actually believed that being separate from sin and sinners is what kept them holy. So by these standards, Jesus could not and he should not be interacting with her. Simon, he thought he knew everything about the situation at hand and that Jesus knew nothing. I can picture him just tapping his foot, waiting on Jesus to get up and take care of it or get out of the way so Simon could. Simon, he had zeroed in on all of the things that he thought she was doing on wrong. He thought she was unworthy. You see, Simon, he was skeptical of the kindness in the courtyard. Simon, he judged the woman, but he also judged Jesus. Oh, but Jesus, his response was gold. Because you see, Jesus, he broke the silence and he spoke to that heart of Simon, not her. He was talking to Simon instead of this woman. Jesus, he went from dinner guest to teacher because he might have been addressing Simon, but he was talking to everyone in that courtyard that day. You see, there were so many customs that Simon hadn't even bothered with. And Jesus, he said, Simon, you're criticizing her and you didn't do all of this? Three different times in this text, Jesus says, Simon, you didn't, but she did. Simon, you weren't kind, but she was. Simon, he was so caught up in himself and the rules and his status that he had missed it by a mile. But this woman, you see, in her kindness, she covered all of Simon's misses. And Jesus, in his kindness, he covered all of her sin. Jesus, he showed kindness to both the woman and to Simon because perhaps the kindest thing he could do for Simon, he did, revealing that the heart of Simon was in need of repentance because the kindness of God is always intended to lead to repentance and never to self-righteousness. Simon, he thought that Jesus couldn't see the woman, but Jesus, what, is it, what are we told he did? We're told Jesus, he turned toward her because that's the orientation of the heart of God, right? Toward his people. Simon, do you see this woman? Jesus was asking Simon, do you see her heart? Her love, her devotion, her kindness, her repentance, her humility. That's what I see, Simon. Jesus was telling Simon, 
I see her. And he was telling this woman, I see you. Jesus told Simon and everyone in the courtyard that day who she really was. Daughter, priceless creation, loved, forgiven. Jesus saw her worth. And with his words and his behavior, Jesus told her, make no mistake, I see you. And now they've all seen you too. You see that day, Simon, he, he reminded her of her weakness, but Jesus, he lent her his strength. The woman, she had a right understanding of who Jesus is. Now there's a lot of speculation about how expensive that alabaster flask of perfume really was, but one thing's for sure, it was one of the most expensive and valuable things that she owned. You see, kindness, it often costs us something. It costs Jesus everything. And when we have a right understanding of who Jesus is, what costly becomes okay. I don't ever want to be, I don't want to be Simon in that story. But if I'm honest with you all this morning, I have been guilty more than I care to admit of standing with my arms crossed, tapping my foot, thinking that I know what's best. But then I'm reminded, I don't know. And that is why I need the Holy Spirit, because it is the only way that I will ever see people through the lens of love. How we see people, it affects how we treat them. We live in a world, friends, that does not know how love behaves. Ephesians 5.1, Paul tells us that we are to be imitators of God as his beloved children. We live in a world that expects us to throw rocks. So why do we not wanna be people who wash feet? God sent his son Jesus to show us how kindness behaves. So we need to be kind. You see, kindness is a choice. It is an intentional decision that we make over and over again. It doesn't happen by accident and it is not easy. It's probably why the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3.12 that we should clothe ourselves with compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. We get out of bed every day and we choose how we dress physically. Why would we not be intentional about how we choose to dress spiritually? When we intentionally choose kindness every day, it's not putting on an accessory, it's choosing to nurture and to nourish the fruit that's growing inside of us so, so that it can become more and more abundant. When we choose to put on kindness, we tend to our soul. We do the watering and the pruning and sometimes the pest control. Kindness is dying to ourselves over and over again. It's choosing daily surrender. If you're on social media at all or on 
online at all, actually, for that matter, you've probably noticed over the past couple of years a trend to be kind emerge. As the world has become more and more divided over the past few years, celebrities and social media influencers have taken to online platforms and made hashtag be kind a trend. Large companies and big brands, they've wallpapered any type of merchandise that you can think of with two simple words, be kind. But a quick search of hashtag be kind, and you can find threads full of ugly and mean comments. Because even when we're talking about being kind, we still can't be kind. Unkindness, it has become almost a form of entertainment that's been accepted. Have you ever joined a Facebook group just so you can read the comments? And unkindness as a form of entertainment, well, it's not limited to online platforms. It happens in the world around us, everywhere that we look. Putting kindness on as an accessory, it does not last because it makes kindness something to do instead of something to be. Listen, I'm glad that there's a be kind movement because this world is often not a very kind place. And it's good It's just not what's best. Jesus came to show us what's best for this messy world that we live in. The kindness of God demonstrated through his son Jesus is what's best. It's what this world needs. After all, how will we ever fulfill the greatest commandment to love God and to love people if we can't learn to be kind? In a world that seems to want kindness, but thrives on unkindness, the body of Christ needs to choose wisely. So the next time that someone posts something that you disagree with or cuts you off in traffic, or my personal favorite, drives 55 in the fast lane, (laughs) just take a pause and ask yourself what Jesus modeled. Ask yourself, is this how love behaves? And listen, if you're in a place where kindness is not your knee-jerk reaction, be kind to yourself and be encouraged because as we follow Jesus, transformation happens. Be kind. Be is a verb and it gives space to the transformation that Paul talks about. I read a story a while back about a woman who was not a Christian and her story actually found her in a place where she was adamantly opposed to Christianity. And she was a writer, so she published a critique of a local Christian group in a paper, back when there were papers. And as you can imagine, it evoked a huge response. She received tons of hate mail and fan mail. And as she read through all of these letters, she looked at them, read them, and she tossed them in to their respective bins. Fan mail, hate mail. But one day she received a two-page letter and she said it was from a local pastor and it was warm and it was civil 
It was kind and inquiring, and she couldn't figure out what box to put it in. So there on her desk it laid for seven days, and every time she came back to her desk, she read it again. Eventually, she reached out to the pastor because it was the kindest letter of opposition she'd ever received. And over time, she became friends with this pastor and his wife. She said they talked to her in a way that did not make her feel erased. And she credits this letter and that relationship with them as a significant part of her journey to faith. You see, you and I learning to be kind is a big deal to God because kindness has the power to soften hearts. You know that you'll know when you're being transformed because you give the benefit of the doubt to people even though they don't deserve it. And you're generous with all of your resources and you take someone at their word and you're glad when someone has something good happen to them even when you wanted it to happen to you. And you loan someone your strength because the first thing you see is not their weakness. God is kind and Jesus came to model that kindness for us. So friends, let's be kind because that is what this world needs. Maybe you're not in a place where you've ever known the kindness of God that Jesus came to reveal, or maybe this world has just been a little harsh for you. I'd like to invite the prayer teams forward in all of our rooms now. As we close today, Regardless of where this morning finds you, I want you to know that these men and women, they would be honored to pray with you and to pray for you today. Let me close with some prayer. Father, we stand in awe and humbled, Father, at how good and kind and loving you are to us. God, thank you for your son. Thank you that you were not only kind, but you sent him, God, in the kindest way to do the kindest things for us. So God, give us the strength. Send us out in your strength to go be kind to a world who does not seem to know you. God, we love you, and we're so grateful for you. And it's in your precious name. Amen.